If you're listening right now, go ahead and download this episode by clicking follow or subscribe on your podcast app. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at getsome underscore podcast. Enjoy the show. My name is Michelle Fischler, and this is the Get Some Podcast. A revolutionary anti-government protest in Iran was sparked on September 16th after the 22-year-old Iranian woman named Masa Amini was picked up and detained by Iran's hijab police for showing too much hair. Reports state that she was severely beaten into a coma by police while in custody and died in hospital the next day. Masa Amini's death sparked nationwide protests all over Iran. The United Nations estimates that the death toll is about 326, including dozens of children. About 14,000 protesters have been arrested or detained, about 1,000 people charged, and as of yesterday, Iran just issued the first known death sentence connected to Masa Amini's death. My guest today has hidden her identity for the safety of herself and her family, many of whom live in Iran. Myself and my producer, Yutong Liu, will be interviewing our guest, who we'll call Iran, to learn more about the situation that people in Iran are facing from a cultural historical, and personal perspective, and how we can take a stand for gender equality and support the Iranian women and protesters. Thank you for being here. Iran, I wondered if you can tell us a bit about what it's been like for you living in a different country, away from your friends and family, who Many are still living in Iran today. Hi, um, thank you for having me. Um, that's uh, it's, that's an interesting question because there's been a lot of dilemma. Like I think every single uh, Iranian person who is not living in the country right now is having this dilemma of um, whether or not, you know, Personally, I feel uh, quite a bit of guilt for not being there and feeling that I could have easily be one of those people who are now detained. I could easily be one of those people who are just like randomly shot in the streets or um, all of that. And it's just by pure privilege that I'm now in Canada. Um, So there are many feelings happening. I think um, on the good side, on the bright side, the feeling that I have, which I haven't felt in a long time, is that uh, hope. Basically, like I really uh, am hopeful that one day maybe I can go back and help um, rebuild my country. Um, And I think that feeling is what is driving us these days, despite all the bad news that is coming from Iran. When you say that you feel hope, what is it about what's happening right now that would give you hope for the future? 
Yeah. Uh, so as you know, in the past 40 something years that the Islamic regime has been in power, there has been multiple protests, multiple times that uh, in so many different ways, people have tried to make changes. Uh, they even, like we even tried to um, elect a president to try to m make changes within this Islamic government. But um, I think it's been a, a few years that all of us know that the only way to um, fix things, to have a better economy, to have more freedom is only going to happen um, with the downing of the Islamic regime. Like, there is no way that um, any reforms can happen in this severe dictatorship. Um, so right now what is different with this movement is that um, the women are on the forefront and its motto, which is, woman life freedom is coming from uh, the 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 courts like basically it, which is which is really important i think cuz the minorities especially kurdish minorities have been harassed and um discriminated against to the most severe um extent in iran and the fact that mahsa amini was a kurdish woman um, and, you know, all the courts are, were backing that and everyone is just so fed up by this discrimination that is happening against women, against minorities, ethnic minorities, religious minorities, um, that that has become a common goal for everybody. Um, and I think it is different because women have, uh, for years been silenced um, in Iran and been pushed to the sides, but now their courage is really inspiring, inspiring a whole nation, uh, if not a whole, the whole region, um, to make a change. So um, that's why we're all really hopeful. And I want to mention a bit, because today we call our friend as Iran, I want you to explain a bit because Iran in Iranian name is also a mm -hmm. name for women, right? And yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, Iran is a kind of an old-fashioned name uh, for women. Um, like my my grandparents' generation have people who have women who are called Iran, and just the fact that Iran as a nation is known as a woman. Uh, I think it's very um, interesting. Um, yeah, and the reason that I chose this name, uh, I hope that it's not, um, it's not thought that I'm representing the whole country, but I also feel like if I ever want to have another name, that other name should be Iran. Because before we actually started our conversation, we are quite happy, right? Because uh, after Michelle reading this whole news, I kind of feel that as a Chinese, because I can feel what, because last time we talked, we we're still talking about 
China are less Chinese are less likely to have the protest because we know what the country will do to us. And then the next week, the news like this, the protesters sentenced to be death happened. Is yeah. Exactly. That's really, really scary. And that's why the courage of the people who are in the streets, the courage of the women who are who are taking off their hijab is just extremely inspiring as an Iranian woman living 30 years of my life in Iran. I was constantly um, in fear of of doing all of that. Um, even though I was living in the capital, I was living in, a, you know, uh, in an upper middle, middle class family. Still, just I just wanted to avoid the trauma of being uh, arrested. Um, so I never dared doing anything like that. Yeah. And it's funny enough because I had a friend from Russia. And when we talk about the citizenship in Canada, we actually had a very weird conversation, like, because we are all immigrants, right? The first gen immigrants. And we talk about, hey, do you want to get PR or citizenship or anything, blah, blah, blah. And my Russian friend, he replied to me, like, I will definitely get the Canadian citizenship because we all have the possibility to enter the jail because we are activists or we're trying to, like, that a bit. Yeah. And we're <laughs> expecting if we immigrate to Canada to have the Canadian citizenship, then they will save us from the that side jail just in case. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Which is in, in Iran a double-edged sword though because Iran has for years taken uh, people who have dual citizenships as kind of a hostage and have imprisoned them so that when something like this happens, they would have a card to be able to kind of like <laughs> release a hostage and get some rights from the West. And that has been happening time after time. And in in September, when the uprising was just happening, uh, this is what Iran did. Um, they they released a couple of uh, Iranian American hostages. Uh, I can't remember what they gained <laughs> in return right now because so many things has happened. But yeah, I understand your point about. Um, having another citizenship, it is definitely a privilege, especially in the um, example of Iran, because our passport is really one of the uh, kind of the most worthless passports in the world. Tell me about more. <laughs> Here's a Chinese sitting here. Yeah, because I, yeah, and I also, because that is very interesting about the Iran name Iranian name Kairan and but then Iran represents female figure somehow but still the protests keep going but the more sad thing happened after a week and I was also wondering how Iranian are viewed in the society and how they view themselves because you know human beings as a like a group people they're usually changed their mind and their lifestyle to get involved with, into 
a society more, right? So if the society, I mean, yeah, I just want to ask how Iranian female are viewed from the outer perspective and from Iranian females perspective. Is that a bit confused? So you're asking uh, how uh, the um, women in Iran are, um, you know, viewed as a nation, like kind of like what um, what position Iranian women have in the in the society? Yeah, because I see there's a separation, right? The Iran represents the female, like like a French the Louvre or not the, the, the female. Mm-hmm. Right. But but still, the female rights are really need to be changed in Iran. Then what? Yeah, I I I see. There's a separate. It's not separation. How to say that? It's a like a bipolar thing. A, div- a divide, or it's Divi- like a. Yeah. Because I think it's an interesting question that you have, Yutong, and I want to make sure that I like am. Am following. I th- I think the question might be: Is it around growing up in Iran? How? Yeah. How? What does that gender divide look like? And also, as a woman growing up in Iran, do does the typical woman sort of believe in the the rules of the state? Or is it something that they continually try to fight against? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so first of all, uh, one thing that I need to mention is that there is an array of um, um, ways that women are treated in Iran based on the privilege they have, whether or not they're living in a big city, whether or not they have access to education and you know all of those things like they have like um their their parents and their grandparents have had access to generation uh, to education and and all of that so um just saying that my experience might be representing a, a small um you know um small group of people who are on the top of this um, um, triangle of privilege in the country, um, basically. However, um, as a, even, even in this situation, uh, unfortunately, very early uh, in your childhood, you realize that there are uh, two genders <laughs> and uh, if you're a woman uh, if you're a girl um, you need to act a certain way uh, and the same like if you're a boy you need to act a certain way as well um, like being tough <laughs> having you know and all of that but definitely there are there is more pressure uh, on women on girls to really be modest and um you know, not, even like not laughing out loud in the public. <laughs> is that is Just, that based? Is it based on fear and wanting to protect? Have it wanting to teach their child to behave in ways that are going to keep them safe 
when they go out in public? Or is it like a true value as to how women should be and behave? Mm -hmm. I think definitely there are uh, some uh, cultural um, slash religious underlying elements to that 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 exists regardless <laughs> regardless of the Islamic regime um, you know women have been suppressed even before that so it's not necessarily related to the government uh, it is a cultural thing but definitely when you live in a country that the law of that country supports such behavior um, you know gradually people will uh, treat it as a given and even though like there's a man who is against the government but when there are when there's a situation when they can benefit from such rights and such laws um, they don't hesitate to necessarily not use that benefit not use that right so um, yeah I would say to answer your question it is just a general understanding of how you should be as a girl. Is something planned on you when you still as a kid? Uh, the parents? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's just, yeah. Well, that's another thing. Uh, every single Iranian person, when they go to the school, they the first thing they learn <laughs> is how to lie. Because when you open our, our uh, books, the first page is the picture of um, Khomeini or, uh, you know, other officials. And uh, then they talk to you about how to be in the, uh, in the society. But that's not necessarily how your um, family, ha- like it's not aligned with your family values. Mm. So in order to protect your family, you need to act a certain way in school and you need to not Mm. speak about what you're doing. Like you you shouldn't bring up the fact that your parents consume alcohol, for example, at home, because that's illegal. Mm. Or I don't know, um, back in the time when I was in elementary school, even having a VHS player was prohibited. So like, you shouldn't have said that, like, I watched this film or that film on the VHS because <laughs> that but was... But would, uh, would, it, would a teacher tell on you? Like, what, would, what, what could be some of the repercussions? Again, I, I personally feel extremely lucky to have, mm-hmm. to never have experienced um, fear from a teacher I never felt like the teacher I felt like the teacher was also acting somehow um, but there are people <laughs> there are some teachers quote-unquote in the mm-hmm. school that um, kind of like the course that they're they're not necessarily teaching a course but they just exist and we all know that they are the um, you know the the government people yeah, who are monitoring, yeah, who are monitoring what the teachers are saying and what the mm-hmm. students are saying. And actually these days that even the government is invading schools, those yeah. people are the ones who are like giving away the information of the students, yeah. which is yeah. extremely disturbing. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was I was reading an article on that where I think it was the principal was calling the government to say, yeah, there's kids here who maybe have defaced or written something in their book. And so they the 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 police come in and go through everybody's lockers and books and if there's anything in the books um, that goes against the belief system then they're out like they get taken I or you know some kids I think are also ending up in jail mm-hmm. with adults right absolutely um, and some of them are being sent to psychological institutes yes uh which is <laughs> you know very disturbing yeah. quite like harry potter if you ask me like the way that <laughs> the the students are re- treated in school like when when snape was <laughs> was the headmaster yeah. yeah yeah so what if i'm a trans kid i mean i if i'm a i mean because young boys and girls, it's kind of like difficult to tell. Am I want to be a man or am I want to be a woman? Like it's kind of difficult to let them actually know. So by growing with that, how the transgender people will be will feel or how how? Yeah, because there is a, such a it's such a gender binary. Like it's very much man woman and. Um, yeah, it's a really good question. Like, what happens if you're growing up and as a kid you don't really feel like you fit into the gender that you were born with? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a great uh, question. Uh, so, and uh, just... Um, give you a background first of all being transgender is in iran is uh recognized it is legal there is a very long and horrific Mm. process to be recognized as transgender and to be able to get the medication Mm. and go through the transition uh but in in the late 80s a, a courageous trans woman um kept trying to have an appointment with ayatollah khomeini and and she did it, and she explained to Ayatollah Khomeini that she's a trans woman, and all she wants is to just be recognized, and she doesn't feel okay being in this, you know, body of the man. And miraculously, <laughs> Ayatollah Khomeini, I guess, like, mm. uh, accepted that and approved that, and that became the law, a part of the law. But certainly, as a as a trans kid in Iran, um, just again culturally just to be able to um, convince your parents that you know you are, you are born with the wrong like your the gender that is assigned to you is not what you are and and all of that is is again something that a privilege that many people might not have because a part of um, the transition is to see a psychologist with a member of your family and so many many people don't have that support from their families Uh, so it's not that easy and then again that doesn't mean that the harassment from the government stopped stops now there because even though i have had friends who have had like uh, documentation about like the fact that they're trans man 
and they don't need to wear hijab anymore because they're mm-hmm. they're a guy. Uh, but the harassment doesn't stop mm-hmm. from the police and. Um, so it's still you're you still know, at a at, um, have the risk of being arrested or taken to what is the name of the the it's like the prison but it's a re-education prison where you're taken it's kind of yeah it's kind of like a like a place to just be detained uh like um you know it's a very like i haven't been there again again like but in tehran there is a very infamous institute that um the so-called morality police takes women there and they make like they create a criminal record basically for them for not wearing proper hijab and and then they take their picture and they take their information and then they make them sit in that class to show them how to properly wear a hijab and mm-hmm. then someone needs to bring you some sort of a proper um, clothes so that they can let you go. But Mm. again, like there are so many families that um, like women aren't feeling safe enough with their family to be like, hey, I've been detained by this like unjust morality police, please come save me. This is certainly a privilege that so many people don't have. Right, because what could happen, the the other because like the the well the parents are you know religious and they're like yeah. you like they blame their uh, kid for not wearing proper clothing to the point that they have been arrested you right. know so they're like you should have known better <laughs> something yeah. like that and like i won't come to save you if you are arrested um you should like tip which is like ex- like just it's really not about what you wear you know it's like about like it's just complete randomness if they like want to arrest driving you driving in drug is completely so... random <laughs> i know well first of all you shouldn't be drunk because alcohol wait. doesn't exist uh, in uh, <laughs> uh, quote-unquote like obviously it exists uh, yeah uh, so that's again that's a like a very stupid um hole in the in the jurisdiction because well if you are claiming that no alcohol exists in Iran then how can you arrest mm. people for being drunk you know or being drunk or uh, driving while drunk like there is no law for that if you're if you're drunk then that's what you are sentenced and the sentence is also very horrific. It can be just a fine or it can be lashes. Like they they take like, like mm-hmm. 70 lashes. Like just imagine. And like I have had, again, like I feel like super lucky to have never been arrested in Tehran because I've done all of those things. And, and is the l- I'm a queer Sorry. kid. <laughs> when you say lucky... Mm-hmm. Are you saying that mm-hmm. like, you were lucky or that people who tend to come from a privileged place would be less likely? Why would they be less likely? Is it because they're driven around places? Like how, if you were walking on the street, how would somebody know if you were privileged versus somebody who wasn't? Um, 
that wouldn't do any do you any good but like for example if you're having a party and you're serving alcohol uh, and then a police comes uh, well if you are uh, wealthy you can buy off the police because the police right. is very corrupt so you mm. can give money to the police so that they right. won't arrest you but again it's more luck than privilege <laughs> honestly mm-hmm. like yeah. this could happen to anybody i can ask you just to go back to mm-hmm. the discussion around how being trans is mm-hmm. legal in Iran, mm-hmm. then what about being gay or queer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, being gay or queer is definitely not legal. It has a death penalty. Um, so the, the legality of it is like extremely funny and um, stupid. Because in order to be proven that you have had sex with the same sex uh, person, um, uh, you should have like two men or four women because women are worth less, like half the man in our laws should have witnessed you having sex. (laughs) So, you know, um, so it's not like they can ever prove that somebody is gay, but they can certainly uh, fake the fake the um, fake oh, that. So like they can for, say that. Oh, mm-hmm. there's four here's four have... women to say that this person is gay if it's a woman, and two people, two men would come to the table and say this person's gay. You would need okay and to the either oh, or to the. To the judge, to the police, to the... Yeah, for example, someone has accused you of being gay. and So two men or four women should come and say, hey, we have witnessed this person having sex with the same-sex person. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just extremely stupid. But again, like, they have, like, uh, um, executed many, many gay people without having that proof but having built that proof against them. So it's not like they can't do anything because the laws are so... So the concept of a woman equals half man, the word word, worth, is that apply only on law or people grab that concept from the law and apply it to everywhere, even school? Yeah, that's a very good question. So based on there is something called uh, Sharia law, what you, you might have heard, which is the um, whatever Quran has uh, mentioned has become the law. And since this is an Islamic government, they they follow uh, Sharia law. So what it means is that, uh, for example, uh, for the inheritance um, a, a daughter of the deceased person will take half of the uh, wealth of um, her brother. So like the brother takes two, two units, two halves, two parts, and then the daughter takes one part. So that's one thing. And then another thing is that uh, there is a concept in, in Islam called diyeh, which means that the money you pay. Yeah, if a man murders a woman, they have to pay uh, a certain amount of money to the family because they have 
create made that crime it, aside from um the for example the death penalty or whatever sentence they have but there's a there's a money exchange here as well and mm-hmm. uh, again the it, the man's worth is twice the woman or the, that money if you if you it's so if a woman if a wife kills her husband so, she has to pay double mm-hmm. or yeah like if even like it's not about even killing like for example if okay. i am in an accident and i accidentally kill a person i have to mm-hmm. pay that money but if that person is a woman i pay half the yeah. money so that reminds me uh, that yeah. reminds me there Where's... are many costs the original mm-hmm. starts from the religion right the religion concept in that case if i mm-hmm. am a, um, a feminist and can i i is that a conflict between my personal rights and my personal interest and my religion beliefs yeah what you're saying is that for example if you're a christian should you abide no, the same I, laws i mean if i'm a feminist can i still believe the allah the islamic religion i mean because yes for because <laughs> you for know example, I, if you... I, I i assume sometimes you got the religion from your parents from your surroundings from the society but as i grow up i realize oh fuck i'm a feminist actually i think women should have more rights but as i educated when i was a kid all the religion thing is about female is less worthy than male mm-hmm. then can i stay is the conflict starts right so how people or how you or how your friends manage it yes yes how do you manage it mm-hmm. yeah. yeah there are many families that in the example of inheritance they just <laughs> you know divide the uh, the wealth equally uh, regardless of the of the gender even though the uh, male has the right to take more money but they don't they just like uh divided equally so that's one thing but at the same time we've seen time after time that many men even though they have uh, claimed that they're feminists when when there is time that they can benefit from those laws they have done it so mm-hmm. for example when uh, a child is basically a man's property like a hand imagine like mm-hmm. You can't take someone's hands from them. So the, the mother has no right to that child. If the dad dies, the child doesn't belong to the woman, belongs to the parental, uh, to the paternal grandfather, and so on. <laughs> so, you know, and this is like completely unjust. And so many people do give their the wife the right um, to to have the right to, to the, you know the child custody in the case of their death but um it's really d- even difficult to implement that even if the, imag- the woman has that right and i could imagine it would be a really really difficult decision to leave your husband divorce i i, I think it's even hard to get a divorce but you if you decided to leave you would mm-hmm. essentially be losing. You'd have to leave your kids. 
Exactly. So, and we're talking about, we're not talking about Tehran. In Tehran, what is happening is that during uh, the marriage, the, they will be, like as a contract, it will be mentioned that the, the woman has the right to divorce, right to the child custody, right to education, because that is also something that your husband should decide for you, and right mm-hmm. to <laughs> exit the country and all of that. Like those are all the rights that the woman doesn't mm-hmm. have and should be mentioned in the marriage contract. Otherwise, the, the, the husband can you know, uh, not allow you to exit the country or so not allow you to Tehran. go to school. That's in Tehran. What I'm saying is that, yes, not necessarily in Tehran, but I'm saying uh, the culture of giving those rights to the wife is not really widespread in the country. And so that's why the laws need to change, even though, for example, right now, many women don't wear hijab anymore. And many people are like, oh, well, the problem is solved. But no, the problem isn't solved as long as the law supports this oppression the law supports this like injustice um discrimination i probably about 10 minutes ago kind of cut you off in the midst of you um talking a bit about your own identity your own queer identity i wonder how the discovery of being queer was that something that came up while you were still living in Iran or was that something that you became clearer about now like living Mm -hmm. in a different country yeah so no I definitely knew about my queerness from a very young age um so again, like going back to the fact that you realized very quick, you realize very quickly that there are two genders and you belong to one gender and you do not belong to the other gender. Mm. Like comes very early because uh, the schools are segregated in Iran. So by the age of seven, you go to one school and <laughs> your friends who are boys go to another school. And then, you know, and then this divide happens and and becomes bigger and bigger as you grow up Mm -hmm. so for me being a woman meant that i could no longer play football aka soccer with my um, friends and i couldn't just it was just unacceptable for me so i started to act as if i'm a boy and my friends knew i'm a girl but um you know just for everybody else they would like kind of keep my secret not reveal the fact that I'm a, I'm a girl. Well, that, and that gave me a lot of freedom that my uh, classmates, my, yeah, my classmates at school didn't have, but at the same time, it, it, you know, it uh, gave me a lot of anxiety because I Mm. constantly felt like I'm doing something wrong. And what if someone finds out and, you know, Mm. what if something happens to me and all of that? Um, Mm. And then as I grew up, as I was like 14, 15, uh, when I felt like, you know, this feeling that I have for women is kind of more than friendship. Um, you know, I think every, every queer person goes into that 
starts questioning like what the hell is wrong why am i not like my friends and all of that especially you know in the 90s um where i was going to school and there was like no internet or any access to any books so i remember i used to go to the library and looked up like um encyclopedia of like psychology to to understand what is homosexuality mm. and again like um i feel extremely lucky that my parents allowed me not to wear hijab and allowed me all those freedoms um it later i knew that it was like very stressful for them as well but they didn't allow mm. this stress to like stop them from you know um supporting me um yeah and then and then when i was 18 i came out to my mom and it went really well and i never mm. felt uh like like i was really um able to um practice my queerness and be a queer person mm. and at least feel quite safe at, at home and um you know uh, just deal with the yeah. other weird <laughs> things in my life but not homophobia in my house yeah and so in iran when it comes to sex how are you taught about it what are what do you learn what are you told before let's say you get married or even with dating or what happens on your wedding night or like what kind of information are you given where do you I'm, get I'm, that I'm knowledge gonna say from this because the reason why we had this question is because i actually had an interview with michelle i asked her how you become a sex therapist and then she explained blah 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 and then i was so shocked i completely ignored the fact that the western school has sex education because in china we, we we don't have it at all i told michelle we learn it all from porn from japanese porn and then it reminds me what about you because right because mm -hmm. i think it's such a privilege or it's not even privileged mm -hmm. civilized that school teaches taught you mm -hmm. sex right totally um yeah it's like a super um fucked up situation <laughs> because um so yeah as a as a young adult as a teenager um in my example, my mom one day sat me and my sister down and explained sex with a man to us and explained how mm. we can, like, how we should use condoms and we should, like, mm. you know, what we should do after sex and how to keep our hygiene, which was, like, extremely unwanted Whoa. and uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, that's more than I would say. I would say that's more than what I hear when I ask my clients, so who taught you about sex? And most people mm -hmm. are like, oh, we didn't talk about it. And that's, you know, in here in Canada and Toronto. And mm -hmm. I find it fascinating that both of you, Yutong and, and you, Iran, both of your mothers actually gave you but some but really my mom never good information. taught me how to mm -hmm. uh, like the whole the whole process. I think my mom just ex 
explain this to me theoretically. And there's a, I believe there's a snowball thing because we know each other and we get to sit down to talk about those things. That means we, some, in some extent, we are same group. So it is, it is already already privileged for both of us living here in Canada already. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and also like, again, like, um, by the time that my mom was telling me and my sister about all of this stuff, um, we both already knew all of those things, right? Like we were teenagers, we were in high school. Where did you um, learn it though? From peers, from um, films. Um, Porn? Also, well, <laughs> that's another funny thing because like you don't have access you don't really have access to porn in the night. No, no. In, How'd in, you get it there? Well, okay. So we, like in Iran, many websites are filtered. They don't need to be a porn website to be filtered. But so um, like even YouTube is filtered. So uh, it's not easy to access porn in Iran. And again, when like back in the time, even the internet wasn't fast enough for that. Um uh, but I, I remember we had like the, remember I said the VHS was um, illegal. So we had a yeah. guy who would come to our house and bring films to our house. And my parents would get porn films from, from him and they would hide mm -hmm. it, but we would find it and watch it. <laughs> but now I feel like my parents might have just like purposely, you know, put those like somewhere that we could find them and watch them. Yeah, I never brought that up with them, but I I think that I think that that was the case. Huh. Um, we were a very sex positive house. Like my mom used to kick us out of the house uh, on the weekends so that they could they could have privacy. Really? <laughs> my dad, which was AKA sex. Otherwise, no. no. Like she would Otherwise. like seriously be like, "We want to be alone. Leave the house." Yeah. 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 So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so that's why I'm saying like, um, okay, I feel like they should have like definitely known that so uh, we're, we're seeing. When you learn all this from your uh, mom, back then you already realized you were a queer kid, or how do you feel when your mom tell you about condom, penis, or anything? Um, well, I mean, like, I just listened and, like, felt really uncomfortable. And my sister was also really feeling really uncomfortable. Uh, but also, I really appreciated the fact that my mom was saying all of that. And obviously, she didn't say, like, oh, when you're with a woman, do this. <laughs> Anything like that. <laughs> but... <laughs> Because then she would have been really cool, like really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. But even when I told my mom that um, I'm gay, she was like, you know what? I like really don't understand it. I really don't mm -hmm. feel anything for any woman, but I support you. So I guess she just didn't know anything about queer sex um, to share. How would you say, given the gender inequality 
in Iran and I don't know values that were instilled and and in your family and in schools and belief systems around sex how would you say if at all it impacted who you are as a sexual being mm-hmm. well it really impacted me um, in a great extent because first of all being a man is deemed as like being masculine is being is very cool it's seen as very cool so if you are a mm-hmm. feminine guy nobody would be like oh you're so different and cool they're like oh why are you acting like women which are half the men <laughs> while you're already mm-hmm. a man but if you're a woman who is like masculine and like um um you know tomboyish you're like oh you're the cool kid you know um so this like <laughs> this um this manhood this masculinity is something that i think is extremely has extremely affected lesbian community in iran because that toxic you will see like traces of toxic masculinity in lesbians uh in iran because that's the culture and they they feel like they need to be like you, you know they need to those traits those toxic traits of uh being a man is how to is how to feel like masculine so so that's something that i have seen in myself in my young adulthood and i have like constantly tried to um address um and the other thing is that just you know as a as a queer person who has acted like men as a kid who has like always thought that it like if i was a guy i would have had i would have had such an easier life like just like <laughs> as a sexual being in my workplace uh, in anything i could have just continued play, playing soccer mm-hmm. <laughs> i just had to stop playing soccer at a certain age because i couldn't act like mm-hmm. a boy anymore so all of those mm-hmm. things like i feel like just the fact that i as a person who dates women think that if i was a guy i you know i would have had so much more luck with with women has created a lot of self-esteem issues for me so when you say i would have had more luck what do you mean by that what's luck like what would be the luck that let's say a man would have with in a a hetero relationship with a Mm -hmm. woman what is it well imagine like i like my uh, like a woman but um, i'm not sure if they're gay i'm not sure if they're into women but then if you're a guy you don't even consider that you just ask that person out you just assume yeah you just assume so yeah and and i have had like multiple um instances that i was i liked a woman who was not into women and so Mm. you know that was quite sad (laughs) yeah i bet whereas like right now i sorry can i um i was just gonna say that 
Whereas right now, I really like don't bring that into account that I'm a woman and like liking another woman. I'm just assuming that this person can can be into me regardless of their previous experiences. And, um, you know, as opposed to like taking me like years to do the guest work, I just, mm. you know, just I'm just like more forward about who I like. Yeah, you'd be more open to mm-hmm. asking her on a date or something exactly. to that effect. Right. Mm-hmm. And then do you find that, so that's with the dating, and then do you also find that in how you express yourself sexually? And I, because in my practice, I think just depending on what people have experienced growing up, like I know many of my clients who um, just based on religion, it was really important for them to save their virginity, right? So Mm -hmm. not have vaginal intercourse. So many of my clients spend a lot of their sexual um, experiences having anal sex, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so it in it came into even their sex life or, or even as a woman, right? Struggling with allowing sex to be pleasurable versus, you know, it being a duty, right? Mm-hmm. To make the man happy. And I wondered like for you, does it play in to mm-hmm. your sex life at all? Mm-hmm. Um. Let me just give you an answer about like what I think the majority of women are feeling, which is definitely virginity is very important uh, in many cities and many cultures in Iran still, even in the Mm -hmm. capital, even in the big cities. So absolutely, I think right now it's a bit different with Gen Z, thankfully. Um, Mm. They're very more informed and open and <laughs> feminists. But uh, in our generation, I, um, you know, I think many, many of my friends definitely did have anal sex to uh, to keep their virginity, just to feel mm-hmm. safe. Like, and also there is this view of like, if you have lost your virginity, then there are less people interested in marrying you. Because you have like been with other people, yeah. So, yeah. So that's well. I understand how that could play into, um, you know, them not recognizing their sexual um, rights and having pleasure from sex. And that is, um, yes, sex is very like um, man uh, focused in Iran, and many many women haven't mm-hmm. or experienced orgasm or very rarely experience orgasm and all of that Mm -hmm. um but for me for i don't think that i ever um felt like sex is a duty i think one of the (laughs) uh bright sides of being with a woman is that i always felt safe and comfortable talking about Mm -hmm. what i want and what I don't want and I never mm. felt like there is a there is an imbalance of power about what is happening or uh, at any point I don't have the right to, to you know say no or uh, to to you know would it would be impossible to stop 
the sex at any yeah. point. Yeah. Um, but maybe, maybe again, one of the reasons that I never wanted to experience sex with a man is exactly because I didn't want to lose power. Like, or I was like, yeah, wasn't sure if I have that right. Um, otherwise, like, yeah. you know, in my brain, having sex with a man is is fun. Is can be interesting, can be cool, but then it mm-hmm. can like has never happened because. I'm like, ugh. like I don't want to <laughs> be in that position. Um, yeah. But yeah, but um, as as for what uh, how I perform in sex and how much of that is for my own pleasure and how much of that is my uh, will to, you know, to um, give pleasure to my partner, I would mm-hmm. say that definitely not being a man have made me feel like I'm lacking something that I need to compensate for in sex Mm. so that the women who are not necessarily into other women and are mainly into men but they're all with me won't feel like they're missing out on on anything Um, right yeah which is something that maybe I've just recently found out about myself and uh, Mm. I'm trying to you know go deeper into that and and Mm. uh, and yeah kind of in in that moment in my mind I was like oh because I reflected on you talking about how in Iran it's like a woman is half of a man and just like I was like wondering, oh, I wonder if there's still that, even though it's not a value that you believe in, right? And that you mm-hmm. think makes sense. I often wonder, you know, how how people are just influenced unconsciously from something like that. And I'm not saying that's what it is, but it's always like, oh, you know, you try to you try to make sense of things. It doesn't always mm-hmm. mean that's what the answer is, but that's kind of like where my brain went. Totally. And like Hmm. uh, Iranian men have also been victims of patriarchy. Like they have grown up being this, like being told that they shouldn't be sensitive humans. (laughs) You know, they have, they have so many repressed feelings and um, they have been told that they can get whatever they want. And then they don't get it kind of like the incel situation of like, Um, yeah believing that if they like someone it's a given that they will like them back you know yeah or I can also if it wasn't the incel situation and there's a man who is more connected to his emotional side, right? And doesn't want to be that stereotypical man, but maybe his partner who might be a woman wants that. And Mm -hmm. so that can often, I think, lead to men feeling like not not, not man enough, right? Absolutely. I have actually had a friend who just broke up with a woman who for years expected him to be a better boyfriend. And by that, it means that 
to support her better or to do stuff for her or to come pick her up or like you know spend money for her and all my friend was saying was that I just want you to be really independent and not not to be dependent on me like it's like (laughs) it's really interesting what you say because when one of the arguments when they broke up was that the woman said that he wasn't a good boyfriend (laughs) because he didn't give those services to me which is definitely you know yeah I think everyone's just really freaking confused (laughs) about what they want they want somebody who's like super kind and you know in some ways connected to their emotions but still have these internalized ideas of masculinity yeah and I've had multiple friends queer friends who think that being aggressive is a sign that somebody likes you or being super um, prejudiced or, um, you know, very, very jealous is a sign that that person likes you. You know, the film I shared with you about the, my uh, uh, Chinese friends, Ben, there's a quote I recall a lot. It's called, what you are fighting for is exactly what you have. You cannot fight something you don't have. Which that recalls me mm-hmm. a lot. Um, every, no matter male or female, they having that deep root, the deep concept rooted in their mind somehow about the worth of people, about the right and they're trying to fight it, but somehow, unconsciously, it rooted. Mm-hmm. I think I I am not I'm I don't even know if that's rooted or not. Cause as same as Chinese, we are know something is wrong, and but that happened when we was a kid, and we cannot change it. I think there's a con- there's a there's a. Uh saying in Farsi that says which means that whatever you're seeking you are that thing mm. you know because you know it exists it exists in you otherwise how could you seek it if you if you yeah, didn't know what it, that is it reminds me as well of a very similar saying which is you only know what you want because of experiencing what you don't want Right. You can mm-hmm. only know the opposite because like you can only know how to love if you've experienced how to hate. Like there's some mm-hmm. you can cut that one out because I'm not getting it perfect, but it's very much in line, I think, with the two of with what the two of you are saying. Yeah. But also going back to not being able to change what you've learned as a child, I think that especially in the in my 30s what i found was that my agency to be able to go back and try to unlearn some things and uh, teach myself ways to think differently like to allow my brain to like stop for a second and be like okay you just had this thought why did you have this thought like the way you did it like why not this way so Really, I think that like reprogramming the brain is possible. Yeah. 
and oh for um, sure when you when you realize that you're not just because you've had a certain experience you're actually not stuck there that mm -hmm. and it's not always easy right but if you are able to think okay well maybe there's another way of thinking about this right and starting to train your brain to just allow yourself to think another way your brain there's a lot of plasticity in there where you can start to change how you really ultimately think about mm -hmm. yourself for sure absolutely one last question that i have for you iran is what can we do living in canada what can we do to support the revolution that's happening in iran right now yeah um i think the main thing that i really want the people to know is that this movement has not started two months ago this is something that has started <laughs> by the like the day that hijab became compulsory the protests begin and one other thing is that it is not about not wearing hijab it is about the freedom of choice as simple as that yeah. and also um just not do not become like insensitive about the news because there is an abundance of it because mm -hmm. like too many bad things are happening and people just gradually, you know, get bored of following the news. Right. Um, and that's, I think, is really, you know, you're seeing Iranians protesting around the world every Saturday. And yeah. I understand that at some point you're like, oh, these people, I know, I know what they're fighting for. And then people become right. insensitive. It has certainly happened to me. Um, but I think believing that this this movement and this uprising is a feminist movement that is going to benefit not only Iranians, not just Iranians, but everybody in the region. And as a as a result, everybody in the world will stop uh, putting their um, the country their country's uh, you know benefits. Uh, before the human rights and this will be an example of like what women want like yeah really um and and yeah. so yeah so to look at it like that and and know that uh, we are not free when one of us is <laughs> oppressed and again there's another saying there's another uh, poem in farsi from saadi um, that I'm sure you've heard, you might have heard of is that he says that Bani Adama zay yekti garan ke dar afari nishte yek goharan ch ozvi be dar davarat ruzegar namanat degar ozhara farar, which means that we are all all humans are a part of the same body, and when one of us is in pain, then the whole body of human beings are in pain and if you are insensitive uh, about that how can you call yourself a human and yeah i think i think that's what i want people to know to keep spreading the world word to to reach out to their officials and ask to hold the government accountable for what they're doing and 
really like this mass execution has happened before in the 80s in Iran and it's really 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 possible that it might happen again and I think we should do anything that there is in our power to stop it yeah Iran thank you so much for being here um I've learned so much from you today and you were so open with helping me, but also helping our listeners really understand what's going on right now in Iran and also just even the personal experience of what it was like for you growing up there and also being so vulnerable and letting us in to parts of your sexual life, parts of your identity. So I want to say, say thank you so much and thank you, Yutong, for being here. It's always so nice having you as my co-host you have awesome questions and thank you so much for also giving your perspective not just on what's happening in iran but also what's happening where you grew up in china so thank you both if you have any questions or a show idea or comments feel free to email me at michelle at getsome.ca or you can also follow me on Instagram at getsome underscore podcast. See you next time. If you have a question, a confession, or an inspirational story, send me an email to the confession booth at michelle at getsome.ca and you just might hear it on the air. I hope you enjoyed Get Some. If you'd like to listen to more episodes, subscribe to wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And until then, be kind to yourself, be curious, and when you're ready, your sexual journey will unfold. <laughs>